My childhood dreams were to travel to Paris, live in New York City, and travel to West Africa, which I completely connect back to that experience in my dance classes. And so my first international trip was my senior year of college. I was on a full, an academic full ride in, in university. And so I took out a loan to go on a trip with the fashion merchandising department. Um, and we did a week in Paris and a week in London. And when I finally accomplished my first childhood dream of going to Paris, but if Paris is this great, I've got to go see the rest of the world. And that just sparked me from there to just um, to travel. Welcome to Distinctly You, where we talk to women who have redefined success at different seasons of change. Today, we'll be talking to Michelle Larato, a multifaceted entrepreneur whose life is fueled by curiosity about other cultures. And this has resulted in Misha traveling to over 50 countries around the world. What drives her adventurous spirit? Well, let's get into the conversation. All right. Well, Misha, I have to start off by welcoming you to Distinctly You. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, girl. We've been trying to make this conversation happen for a minute and we're here. We made it. We made it. Yes. All is well. All is well. So thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you and congratulations on the success of your show. Thank you so much. And I have to say that Misha, you have been one of those people in my life that has really cheered me on, on the sidelines to really pursue this avenue. It's something I've been talking about. And you have been one of those people that's been like, no more excuses, girl, do it. So I want to salute you and thank you for being the friend that you have been to me. Oh, thank you. But I'm, I'm, I'm just proud of you and everything you've done. So I'm like, this is just another opportunity for you to touch lives and share your spirit. So I'm excited. Thank you so much, Misha. One of the ways that you express who you are is you refer to yourself as a multifaceted soulpreneur and soul spelled S-O-U-L. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Mm, yeah, that even like that felt good in my spirit when I heard you say it. Like I had to reflect and like, yeah, that's you, girl. Yourself on the back. Um, but a soulpreneur to me is somebody that creates um, from their soul, and the, what they're bringing forth and creating in this world also has spiritual or soulful impact. Um, so I think there's one thing to create a business that generates revenue. I think there's another thing to create a business or organization that impacts souls um, and that you're also gifting to the world through your soul. Wow. I love that. <laughs> that a lot. And, you know, whenever we, you know, you introduce yourself, one of the things that I also have noticed is how you express who you are, especially by the definition of your name, Misha. Mm. Can you share for our audience, you know, like who Misha is and what your name represents to you in terms of how you live out your life? Yeah. So um, my name um, I, is Misha. That's the name my parents gave me, which means she who lives. And then I also, a few years ago, added to my name Lorato. 
And Lorato is love in Siswana. So she who lives love is my North Star, my guiding light. Um, and so every time you, you know, in my, I have a nonprofit, I am, we are. And one of the things that we teach the young people is that anything that comes after I am is a declaration, an affirmation or a negation over your life and who you are. So mm-hmm. for and naming myself every time I speak and say my name and everybody sometime, excuse me, and every time someone calls me by my name, it is also a declaration or a negation. So I choose and chose for myself to be Misha Lorato because she who lives love, um, then that is an affirmation, a reminder and a confirmation for me on what my purpose is, how I should be showing for the world. And also maybe even during a day can be some self-correction. So Audre Lorde, and I'm paraphrasing, said, um, if you don't define yourself for yourself, you'll be crushed in other people's definition. And mm-hmm. that naming of myself in, a, in that way was an opportunity for me to also define for the world who I am and what I declare I'm doing. Woo! That's so powerful, Misha. And one thing I will say too is I also believe in the power of the name because we are called by who we are constantly. Every time someone says our name, they are literally prophesying into our lives the meaning of our name. And so that's why my name, Sharifa, actually means a woman of noble descent. So it means that anytime you call me, you are calling and speaking the highest essence of who I am as a woman of upstanding character, nobility. And so I shouldn't have to cower down and be anything less than who I am. So yes, I receive what you just said, and it's really powerful. So to everyone out there, look into what the meaning of your name is. You know, it's really powerful. And when you're naming your children, put a lot of prayer and thought into that, right? And it yeah. can change it. Like you have the ability and the choice to define who you are in the world. So do so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Misha, you who are someone who is a free spirit and you live a life of adventure. And I, you've traveled. I mean, we're talking at least 50 countries and counting. And that's not an easy task. Now, Talk to us a little bit about where this adventurous spirit came from. And is it your in your background? Is it a part of your being? Like, it's not everyone that travels like that. So just share with us a little bit about where that travel bug came from and how you've become who you are in light of traveling the world. Oh, I'm appreciating your questions. They're juicy and delicious and they're making me think. Um, and hitting me at such a different level. Um, Hmm. So I, I would say it's a combination of that, <laughs> that balance of nature and nurture. I think by nature, I am naturally an explorer. I'm naturally curious. Um, I'm naturally sort of a problem solver. Um, and so that is who I am innately am. But I also had a mother who we were constantly in the car driving everywhere. So, you know, we were, my mother's from New Jersey, but I was raised in Washington, D.C. So 
we were up and down the highway a lot. And, you know, we vacationed, not vacation like we, you know, in our car to go like, you know, Pennsylvania, places like that. So we we definitely got out of our home um, a fair amount. And then I was raised in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., but we did everything in D.C. My mother thought it was important from a cultural perspective to have that balance. And so I grew up in a primarily white area and she would take us into D.C. so we could have more cultural diversity. And so I was taking dance classes at Dance Place um, in Northeast DC. And I took tap dance classes from um, a man who was French. And we used to perform at the French embassy a lot. Um, and then I was also taking African dance classes from South African and Guinean, from Guinea, West Africa, um, instructors. And I think just being in that, com- that community where language and culture and food and all of those things, it just sparked this interest in me. And so I remember at some point, like my Mac, like my walls switching from like teeny bopper posters of, you know, whatever pop stars were popular at the moment to having pictures of literally the French countryside. And so my childhood dreams were to travel to Paris, uh, live in New York City and travel to West Africa, which I completely connect back to that experience in my dance classes. And so my first international trip was my senior year of college. My only student loan that I took out, um, I was on a full, an academic full ride in, in university. And so I took out a loan to go on a trip with the fashion merchandising department. Um, and we did a week in Paris and a week in London. And when I finally accomplished my first childhood dream of going to Paris, I was like, if Paris is this great, London was all right, honestly. But if Paris is this great, I've got to go see the rest of the world. And that just sparked me from there to just, um, to travel. Wow. I love that. I love the fact that something that started in your childhood is what you're living out now. And so, you know, I was going to ask a question later on, but I think it's a really good segue in terms of the defining moment for you in terms of, okay, this traveling thing is there's more to it than that. And I want more of this. It seems to be that initial trip to Paris, right? It's sounding like that, like that, you know, you started in your childhood, hey, I want to go to Paris, starting stemming from the dance class, you finally did it. And it was, can I assume all that you thought it was going to be and maybe even more? Oh my gosh, Paris is still my first love. Like I, it, it's not a, and I think this is just life. It's not a perfect city. It's not a clean city. You know, it's got a lot of stuff, but it is still like charmant, as they say in French. It is the most beautiful, wonderful place in the world to me still to this day. Um, but I have to also as well. Um, I, after I finished my undergraduate experience, I moved to Atlanta. So I think also if there's anything else, like there's one thing to have a dream, and to have an idea, but there's another thing to pursue it. And so to get to that, like I've been to 50 plus countries, part of it was about that challenging myself to then get on this path. Cause it's like, um, it's one thing to go on a trip, an organized trip with somebody. It's another thing to like solo travel, for instance, or drive from DC to Mexico. Um, but I think I constantly always challenged myself. So I wanted to do the Peace Corps after undergrad mm-hmm. and as a way to like, accomplish that other dream of living in West Africa, you know, work on my French. 
Um, and I also recognized for myself, I had never lived out of like the DC area. So I took a job and had the fortunate opportunity of having this job opportunity uh, after undergrad to live in Atlanta for a year. And that was my test of could I survive on my own? So I knew what I wanted even at that young age and said, okay, well, can you do it? And let's figure out if you can do it and start cultivating those skills. So I lived down in Atlanta for a year, applied to the Peace Corps. And really, I mean, and like in learning how to travel, it's one thing to say you want to do it. Peace Corps gave me the courage to be like, drop me off anywhere in the world. I'm I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to thrive. I don't care what kind of community is. I will be okay. So that ability to have that courage, to feel secure, to feel safe, to know how to navigate the world, Peace mm. Corps really cultivated those skills in me. So Paris planted the seed, Peace yeah. Corps. I apologize. You said Paris planted the seed and Peace Corps nurtured it. Nurtured it. Wow. I love that. And in terms of, you know, within, you said the Peace Corps also helped you fulfill that second part of your childhood dream, which was going to West Africa. Yes. Yes. So I was West Africa. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm a, like, I, I love, I love the continent in general, um, the continent of Africa. So living in West Africa at like 22 years old on my own is like a dream come true in so many ways. So but then like, but let me also just say it was hard. So I definitely got there and was like, what the heck did I get myself into? Like the first time using like a latrine, I was like, OMG, the first time like, the bugs, like the big, huge cockroaches, something on my leg, you know, the the, the geckos, the, the all of it, not speaking the language. Like I didn't speak French when I first got there, like enough to be able to like really live. Um, it was daunting. It was intimidating. It was scary. It was overwhelming, all of the things. And it didn't go away after like a week or two. That was a two year experience of all the emotional emotions. And, you know, they say kind of Peace Corps is this emotional roller coaster. You're having to constantly every day, I'm going to get out of my bed. I'm going to brave my community. I'm going to be here and look different than every single person, sound different than every single person and be secure in, in myself and be okay and confident and go out here in the world and make mistakes, um, all sorts of mistakes. Uh, so, you know, it was a wonderful experience and just really like, I always say Peace Corps is like, it, it's like you have this safety net that is like your home and all of a sudden it just being like, you know, when the magician pulls the tablecloth and like the plates are still sitting there, that's what it's like. And it's like, well, can you survive now? Like you, it's just you all your safety nets are gone, your friends, your family, um, all those things that, you know, those identity markers that are so that keep us secure, even like your clothes that say who you are in society, your car, you know, your education, whatever it is that usually gives you that definition of who you are. In a lot of ways, it's gone. And the only thing that really shapes who you are is your character, your soul, your core. And it's like, and now let's see who you are in the world. And so I think for me, Peace Corps was a, a core experience in shaping who I am, teaching me, um, teaching me on how to really connect soul to soul, heart to heart with people and the importance of that, how to relate how to fail and fail beautifully and fail forward and get up 
and get up again and again and again and again because it was a constant failure. You know, whether it was just small things of speaking French or big things of like, I got a computer donated and didn't put it into um, a a converter and it like literally exploded, (laughs) like literally. And you're like, oh my gosh, I told the school for months I was going to give them a computer and then it just literally caught on fire. Like, you know, so like those things happen and it's like, and now what are you going to do? As a busy woman, always on the move, I've discovered the perfect formula for relaxation and reflection. Cornelia Holmes, non-toxic candles and scents. Personally, I like to light up a candle, grab a cup of tea and relax. Before I read a book or study the word of God, I set the tone by spraying a light mist of the serenity scent in the room. It's amazing how the right fragrance can create the perfect ambiance for reflection. Cornelia Home is offering all of you, my amazing viewers, a special 15% discount on all their products. Just click the link in the description below and use coupon code DPU15 at checkout. Enjoy. And so um, I loved, I love West Africa. I got to travel to, you know, all across West Africa from Benin to Senegal while I was there. But I also, I think for me, those were formative years in like really peeling back the onion and helping me to figure out who I am and who I want to be in this world. And not that I figured, you know, I left those two years and I had it all defined, but it definitely got me on the pathway to like figuring out some things and also like unraveling, like this is not who I am and this is not who I want to be. Wow. I really have to say, I really appreciate what you just shared about the Peace Corps And it just reminds me because I even have kids close to that age right now where I think as young people, when you want to discover who you are and thinking right after high school, you, you know who you are or what you want to be. And, and that's not accurate. It's a, it's definitely a lifelong thing. And to have that type of opportunity to, to explore the world and find out versions of yourself of who you are, I think it's, it's truly a gift. And I wonder, uh, did that birth part of what you do now as a nonprofit founder? Because you did mention, and that's one of the ways we connected both as nonprofit founders, I know with I Am We Are and the work you do there uh, with the children in South Africa. Uh, do you trace it back to your time at the Peace Corps, you think, or was that later on? Definitely. I, I, think, <laughs> I honestly... And I was, you know, I'm literally on Friday, um, Friday that just passed or a few days ago, um, I hosted a reception at the South African embassy um, for my, for my nonprofit. And, you, you know, my, the, the first people that I shouted out was Peace Corps and the room had, had had return Peace Corps volunteers in there. Um, people that had served with me in Benin. I did two services, people that served with me in South Africa, people that I had met along the way that served in Peace Corps. We had a Peace Corps country director in there. And even like one of the Shrivers um, was in there as well too. And so like, does, did Peace Corps help shape who I am in terms of my nonprofit? Yes. But did Peace Corps help shape me in terms of who I am in almost every facet of my life? Yes. The most formative, the most powerful, the most transformative, the most, the most, um, illuminative, illuminative, is that a word? Illuminating, you mm-hmm. know, it's, 
experience that I had, I am so grateful. You know, it is not a perfect institution. Um, and there are a lot of flaws and a lot of your experience is shaped on who you are and how you want to show up in that experience and how you will utilize it. But I am so grateful to have had the opportunity for two years to live in another country, immersed at a very local level in a community to be able to learn a language, to be able to learn from others, you know, in that way, it is the only experience like that in the world. And I'm so grateful that the U.S. government has set that up. And again, to the Shrivers, you know, to John F. Kennedy for creating that institution. Um, but I'm also thankful, just as we're talking about Peace Corps, to all the countries in the communities that allow us to come in these very naive, very bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, idealistic volunteers that want to save the world. You know, we really quickly realize that we can't actually do that and don't have that power. But thank you so much to all those communities, those communities, the everyday people, the ladies selling fruit to, you know, the children that run with us and play with us and welcome us in. Thank you to those communities and those individuals that continuously accept Peace Corps volunteers, even in our fallacies and our flaws, they continue to accept us and receive us for the gifts that we do bring as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is there any story that may come to mind or any experience during your time, you know, whether it was at the Peace Corps or any of your other travels that you think has really impacted or shaped the version of who you are today? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. This is a two-parter, but, um, oh my gosh. And I do not remember this woman's name, but I can see her and I can feel her energy. Um, this is 20 years ago we're talking about, I can't believe that. Um, but, uh, oh wow. Um, so I remember her sitting in my house and it was a lady that, uh, and I have to try not to cry. Oh man, I've never cried when I shared this experience, but the way you asked it, it just touched me so much. Thank you for asking the questions and the way you did and the insightful questions that you did. Um, I was part, I was a business volunteer and I was teaching classes, basic marketing accounting classes at a credit union because they were having an issue with loans being defaulted on. And so the thought was if we teach better business practices and management of those loans, then they would have a higher return rate of the loans. And so um, most of the people that I'd had in my classes to that date were like, I have pharmacists and these very educated like men. And again, I am teaching these classes in French. I am a recent college graduate. In some regards, eh, I'm teaching this pharmacist, you know, things. Um, and, you know, my French is very basic. But there was one lady that came into this class, you know, again, 20 years ago, very small village, West Africa, very traditional patriarchal culture. Um, and so there was one woman in all these classes early on that when I was teaching it, and this is in my early months at Peace Corps, and she wasn't really getting it. And she came to my house and I was trying to teach her one-on-one -on -one some of the stuff and she still wasn't getting it. And I was getting so frustrated. And I did not understand, like, I'm breaking it down to the smallest level, why she didn't get it. And I don't remember exactly what it was in that exchange, but all of a sudden it hit me. She didn't really speak French. Her French wasn't that great. And so it was less an issue of what, what I was saying in some regards, but it was sort of, one, French isn't my native language. 
French isn't her native language, but it was something being lost in the translation um, and sort of the, the, just based on sort of our education levels and how we we're communicating and in and, and this language that was neither of ours native language. And so that right there was a very pivotal lesson to me and sort of like, I was so frustrated, so, so very frustrated, but just being able to like, look at things from a different perspective to really understand. And like, yes, you can keep nailing something because that's all I kept doing. I kept nailing and hitting harder and harder and harder. And like, but why don't you get it? I never changed how I was doing it. I just kept hitting that one nail on the head. And so one, she first taught me this lesson of just to be patient, go slow, seek to understand instead of being understood. Um, go try different perspectives. You know, now I know things like people have different learning styles. So visual, oral, you know, all of those kind of things, but don't keep hammering that nail. Like you're not going to be successful. So the same woman who I'm, I'm now learning about like her education, but she, you know, to me, and I think there's also something about the visual. She was very polished and looked really look, you know, look good. And she's in these classes. And like, just because you look one way, there's a whole nother story underneath. And so that part right there opens me up to the next thing she taught me because what she, what I learned was that she lived in a village that was like 45 minute motorcycle ride away from where I was. And so I was kind of in the regional capitals, you know, more developed than where she lived. And she was like, and like, you know, literal like mud houses. I don't want to say huts, but mud structured housing um, in a very rural area. And so what she asked me to do was to come out to her community and teach classes. So I did that and I taught classes and we had a translator this time because we learned a little bit. Um, and I taught these classes to the cooperative that she worked with. It was a farming cooperative. And so after I taught the classes, again, I'm just very idealistic. I'm like, all right, well, let's do something. So, you know, because they did this, 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 they um took the um cassava and they manufactured this thing called Gari. And so in my little Peace Corps kit, they had this idea of like, well, you know, differentiation, a marketing concept of differentiation. So everybody traditionally in those old school markets, they're all sitting in the market selling the exact same thing. There's no differentiation. The price is the same, et cetera. And you're just haggling. And so I'm like, well, why don't you color it and put some like red oil with it? Or why don't you, you know, you eat gari with peanuts and water. Why don't you mix the peanuts with the gari and put it in little plastic bags so you're selling the end product and you'll differentiate. And they laughed at me first and foremost. They laughed at me. I actually think some of those ideas could work, but hey, they laughed at me and was like, why would you do that? And that's lazy and that's da 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 da, you know, that kind of thing. So I felt silly. But even in my Peace Corps kids should feel silly too. But then in addition to that, they go, Let me, let's take you on a trip. And I'm like, okay. So I'm, I remember, I remember vividly what I had on that day. I had on khakis and a red sleeveless tank top. And I had on some like, like a uh, Tiva kind of sandals. I don't know why. And I had this purple plastic knit bag. I don't know why, but I vividly remember this day. And they, they walked me around. It's Hot. I'm like, we're on the equator. It's so, so hot. And I'm like, why are, where are they taking me? Why are we going? They take me on this long journey and we're walking around and we finally like get to like where they're like, this is where we grow our crops. And I'm like, again, and all my young whateverness. Okay. So why you got me out here? Right. So, and I'm like, I vividly remember standing underneath like a corn stalk or something. And there's like an ant falling on me. And I'm like, what do you got me out here doing? And it's hot and I'm sweaty. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, okay, 
now we're going to take, show you something else. And they take me on another long walk and they're like, this is where we get water. And I'm like, oh, well, at first I'm like, okay. But then I start thinking about it and they, and then, you know, they kind of leave me to like, take it all in. And they're like, what we really need is water. Like, thank you for teaching us all that stuff. But what we really need is water that's closer to where we get crops um, because they were telling me like they're carrying, it's not a lot of water and they're carrying this water like, you know, on their heads, this far distance to get to these crops to water them. And so they would have, they would do better and be more successful if they actually had better access to water. So another lesson learned, like, yeah, you got some bright ideas, but you may, you may be bringing them forth, but they're not really solving the real problem because you, from your external perspective, are um, thinking this is what they need and they don't. So um, I ended up working with them. And what I realized, such a small thing, I, one, was a foreigner. And the and the and there was an organization in my community um, that was German-run that provided wells. I knew the guy. I had met him a couple of times because we're both foreigners in this community. Um, so that one, just the fact that I'm American kind of helps a little bit. And then secondarily, just, and that's the reality. It's an ugly reality, but it's a reality. But secondarily, they didn't really, nobody spoke French except for that woman. That woman was the best French speaker in that village. So they couldn't fill out the application to actually even apply for water because it was in French. So I filled out the application for them. I went with them to the the ONG to actually submit the paperwork. I like was the main person and communicated what they needed, you know, and I navigated. And I also I honestly feel like because the guy knew me, he trusted me. And so often, you know, these some of these projects, they kind of, you know, there's some mistrust there, you know, because projects have uh, I don't even know how to say it in English, but, you know, some corruption, you know, some stuff happens. So they actually they got the water in like half the time that it usually takes. Um, I went back years later, like 10 years later, and I saw the well. Um, and it like, it just brought so much joy to my heart to see that water in that community. And it was like, out of all, honestly, out of all the things I did in Peace Corps that I thought was just all that well-intentioned stuff, the thing that really like, I always remember is that I helped that village get water. And I didn't do, by any like big feet, but simply because I helped fill out an application. And also I took the time to listen and I took the time to see, and I took the time to learn what the real issue and the real challenge was. And I helped them based on what they needed and what they desire and not based on what I thought in the U.S. government and this credit union thought they needed. And the one of the things that I will always like I'll hold dear for the rest of my life. The woman, and I can't remember her name. I'm so upset. I can't remember her name in this moment, but she named her daughter after me. So she had a daughter later on and she put my name like as one of like the second or third name. So there's a little girl somewhere in that village. Um, that Oh, Misha. Yeah, the Misha, a little Misha somewhere. So yeah, I don't know. There's lots of lessons from that, but that is one of the most pivotal experiences I had in Peace Corps and in my life. Wow, that almost brings tears to my eyes, Misha. That is that is a beautiful story. That is a lot of lessons there. And that is definitely something that, wow. I mean, I, I don't know that you can top that uh, story in, in that sense and in that way, but it really does point to the fact that when we are trying to accomplish things, sometimes it's just the smallest things. You know, sometimes we overcomplicate what, we feel is going to be great. But just like you said, filling out an application, but taking the time to listen 
and seeing what people really need as opposed to here's our bright idea, just how, how far that goes. So thank you for sharing that. So many lessons with that, Misha. Wow. You know, even as I sat, as I sit now and reflect on that and sort of the work I do now, you know, sometimes with my nonprofit, you know, because we we have these grandiose ideas and it needs to be this. And like, I, I definitely, when I first started my nonprofit, like I was like, you know, I used to be like, it's only 20 kids and it's only this and it's only this. And I, to your point earlier, I, I was making small my efforts. But what I realized um, and what keeps me going back is that like, a hug matters. Like those small things matter. A hug matters. And I love you matters. And I, I see you matters. A keep showing up matters and answering a WhatsApp call from those kids matters. And so it is, it is the culmination of the small things that do matter. And it does not have to be, you know, I know USAID and all these other people on these grant applications want me to say all these grandiose things of that impact. But for me, in the, the way the, what I'm doing through I Am We Are, it is more about those intangibles that I'll never be able to count that I really do feel are making the impact on those kids more so than like I provided this number of jobs and I had this many of computer trainings and all of that because it is those heart to heart. It is the listening. It is the seeing. It is the hearing. It is the hugs that truly that heart to heart human connection that I think matters more than anything. And that's what Peace Corps has taught me. Wow. Golly. Seriously speaking, just based on everything you're, you're, I mean, I've heard about the Peace Corps and I know the amazing things people have done with the Peace Corps, but just hearing your personal experience and, and the impact it has had uh, on you and on communities and now on, you know, a lot of the kids uh, that you serve in South Africa and beyond, it's just monumental. I thank you so much, Misha, for just who you are. You are just, you truly are a light and I really adore you. Um, I will, <laughs> I will say though, Misha, with everything that you've done in your journey right now, I mean, you are one person that I never know where you are. Uh, you could be, you know, um, you know, I could be talking to you and then you're like, give me a second. They just took light here. Let me, uh, plug this thing in and uh, okay, I'm back. You know, that's Misha, right? So where in the world are you right now, Misha? <laughs> I am in bliss, first and foremost. I am in joy. <laughs> I am in peace and I am grounded. And I'm sitting physically, though, in um, Merida, Mexico, which is in the Yucatan Peninsula. It's about a four-hour drive um, to, like, Cancun. That's amazing. And do you mind my asking where in your journey right now in this season that you find yourself that it's brought you to Mexico? I think just how I started in that grounding, that bliss. I think I hit for all the nonprofit founders, take care of yourself, take care of yourself, like the passion, the love, the joy, and that like, I got to get it done. The need, the need, it, it, it's Yes, all good. The needs, there's so many needs. Um, and someone once told me in South Africa, they're like, in the sea of need, pick a lane and swim it hard, otherwise you're drowned. But I think there needs to be something added to that, but also swim it at a at a pace, like at a at a steady pace, because you'll drown otherwise too. Like I'm gonna add that piece on it. And I definitely 
hit a wall and was burnt out. And, you know, cause, um, my nonprofit is small and like, we don't have a big budget. And a lot of what I'm, you know, I, I have not, I don't get paid, have not gotten paid. Like my, you know, I have some paid staff people that's varied year over year, but I'm doing the curriculum development stuff, you know, to the implementing it to the back of the house, to the board management myself with support. So I have people along the way that are helping me and I'm pulling in resources but I'm really doing all of it plus keeping a job, right? I think those are the things where people look at my my Instagram and they're like, oh, you're in all these sexy places, getting all these planes, look at you with the kids. Oh my gosh, you're saving the world. Like you're doing making, like, I'm, and sorry, I don't mean that to sound whatever, but sometimes like, I, I guess when I hear it, like that is great and that's good. And I love that people perceive me that way. And I hope I can live up to that perception, but I also don't think people recognize the other side of it. Um, and I would, and, and no matter what I say to them, that full story doesn't always come through or people aren't able to receive it because pe- we like the, sh- the, the glitz and the glamour. And we don't under, I think sometimes when we see people's stories, we don't understand all the work that it takes to get there. So I definitely got burnt out. Um, and, um, I also just from some of the work I do, I just, I, I needed something different. I experienced some things in my community um, and I just recognized like, this is not where I can live anymore. Um, and when I looked around the U.S., I was like, I don't see anywhere else where I want to live too. And so in this season of my life, in this chapter of my life, oh, in this moment of my life, my peace, my peace, my joy is my number one priority and anchored in my faith. And so what spirit said to me, what God said to me is go run after that. And so like, and I literally got in my car and I drove, you know, with a lot of planning, but I got my car and I drove to Mexico. Like that's what running after creating your peace is. And so I'm here, um, creating that, like, it feels amazing here. It feels good. So like, for me right now, I love home, but home is not a place that gives me peace. Mm. Now, when you talk about home, though, just hearing all that you've shared so far from your childhood experiences to, you know, your young adult life, you know, within the Peace Corps, being a nonprofit founder and all that is involved with that. When you say home, though, is home really a place? Or it's home what you make it. Mm, no, and it's not home the people you choose to surround yourself with and as opposed to being a building. Like so what would you say is home for you right now? Home is love to me. Home is home is that like some place where you feel grounded, where you feel anchored, where you feel secure, where you feel safe where that, where you can, where you feel accepted as all of who you are, where you can show up in your truth and sort of thrive. Um, so that to your point can be people that can be places, um, places, whether it's a building and, or like a city. So like my house in DC is my home. My house gives me a hug. It is, it, it, there is intentional colors on the walls and murals and et cetera, that when I walk in there, even with all of my stuff stripped off the walls now, and a lot of my personal effects gone from my home, it is still the energy of my home is still there. The city 
does not, it is, it is my birthplace, but it doesn't feel like a home to me now because the peace does, isn't there. So like South Africa, uh, Rustenburg King is home to me. Merida is now home to me. Um, DC also is home to me because of the people. Like, there's nothing like just going in the grocery store and being like, I went to high school with you. How you doing, sis? You know, those kind of experiences. So that's what brings, makes DC still home. Um, and so in a different way than sort of the city itself. But um, yeah, it's, it's again, the love, the safety, the, the ability to be you. And like, I think there's nothing better than like being in a place where people know you know you. So like, in South Africa, even like I may be a foreigner, but I know I, there are kids there that I remember you when you were three and look at you now, like because I've been there for so long. And that's partly like I, it's not my birthplace. It's not my my I'm not a nationally a resident, but it's home. I love that. I know that you are a person that has like a bunch of amazing quotes and I can't let you leave this conversation. Without sharing a quote of one of your favorite quotes that you feel maybe summarizes a bit of what we've ch- talked about today, or something that folks can maybe a book that you would recommend, maybe a favorite quote, but something that you can leave our audience with that gives us a sense of that distinctness of who Misha is. Can I do a quote in a book? Go for it, girl. Book, The Alchemist, by mm. far. Um, I've read it three times. I remember the magical man that gave it to me. My, it became my brother's favorite book. And we actually buried him with it. So mm. like The Alchemist, by far, if you have not read it, please do so. And if you read it years ago, pick it up again. It'll speak to you in a different way. Mm. Um, I think a quote, and this is a quote from me, um, that I think just hope that I think captures our whole conversation and I would like to live with people. And it's something I've been saying a lot lately, but like, I just want people to know I didn't wake up like this. I worked at this. Like, I know like, you know, Beyonce is like, you know, one of those things from a Beyonce song is I woke up like this. It takes more, it takes work. Like, but I say that again, because like so many people and I'm honored and humbled to again, to be perceived this way. So many people are like, I'm inspired by you. I see this in you where you're doing this and you're doing that. And like, I hope and like, you know, you see and hear in this podcast, my Genesis. And you Mm -hmm. see that like, I didn't just wake up and get in a car and drive to Mexico. Like it took me as a, you know, a recent college graduate being being courageous enough to move to Atlanta on my own. It took me getting on that airplane and, you know, and serving as a Peace Corps volunteer. It took the two years every day of committing to still be here, even though there were days that really, really sucked. And I got really, really frustrated. You know, it took, you know, me having the courage to quit a job to pursue my, you know, quit my good six-figure corporate job that I got to, you know, invested in getting an MBA for like quitting that because I knew I wanted something else for myself and being willing to like take, you know, serve again as a Peace Corps volunteer and only make $5 a day because I knew that God had something else in store for me and that I was willing to just sit for a little while and be quiet and learn and serve at the same time. So there's, 
it took all of those things and so much more. It took having a praying mom and the faith that they've instilled, all of that to then live the life that I'm living now. And this is just the beginning. This is just my good. This ain't my great, y'all. But all that to say, whatever your good and your great is, it is available to you. It is available to you. Your life is just one big white canvas. Like I am living out the decisions that I made a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, a couple years ago. So go ahead, take that white canvas, paint it, paint the picture, paint paint it big, paint it even bigger than what you thought was big. And then every day, every day, make one small decision that gets you closer to living into that picture. And then the next day, make another, and then the next day, make another. And one day, one day you will wake up and you will realize that you were living out the dream, that really big dream that you had a few years ago. Let's just drop the mic now. Thank you, Misha. That was powerful. And that was very, very well said. If anyone wants to learn more about your journey um, in Mexico, wants to learn more about I Am We Are, and wants to learn more about you, how can they connect with you? Can I just, just before I do that, can I just say thank you for your heart that you bring to everything that you do? Like I've done a lot of podcasts. Um, I've also just, you know, been interviewed a fair amount and like just the questions you ask, like, thank you for allowing me that moment of introspection and allowing me to pour, pull from like my soul and from my, my, my true beingness and not, you know, just give service. So thank you for that. And thank you for allowing me this moment to reflect some of those lessons learned to others. Um, so I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Um, if you want to stay in contact with me personally, my Instagram, I am about to be off the socials, but personally, my Instagram is Misha, M-E-I-S-H-A, Lerato, L-E-R-A-T-O. Um, I'll always have a presence. I may just not be on there as much. I'll interact every once in a while because peace is the focus again, but I am, we are, um, it's I am, we are youth.org and I am, we are youth is the same for all of our social handles. Like don't go for me, go to learn the stories of these young people that are fabulous and have so many goals and dreams in the world and be there. Like, please go hear their stories and invest in their futures. We, they would appreciate it. And I would appreciate it too. Thank you so much, uh, so much, Misha, for this conversation. It has left my heart full. Uh, this is probably one of the most impactful conversations I think we've had so far. And I really appreciate your taking the time to just share of your light and just the blessings that the Lord has blessed you with because you are blessing so many with that. So thank you, my dear. And I know that there's going to be a part two to this conversation sometime. All right. I appreciate it. I'm always here. Yes. Praise God. Cause it is all God in me. It's all God. And it's all, you know, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you.